good morning to you all. It's nice to see that uh, some of you have stayed on for the word. And uh, I pray that the Lord will bless us as we uh, gather around his word uh, this morning. But here we are, we come before the word of God again this morning. And uh, uh, surely by now you know that we are in Psalm 91. And uh, we're going to be looking at um, uh, up to verse 8 this morning. You know, I, I suppose every one of us, uh, one of us have had this experience. The phone goes and a young lad or a young lady on the other side has something to sell you. Now she goes into a spiel and however you try to stop her or anything short of putting the phone down, she'll finish what she has to say. She's either got it written down, of course, or it's encrypted into her brain. You know what? She finishes this long, drawn-out spiel of what uh, she has to tell you. You tell her that you were just not interested and you hung up. There's another experience that we've all had. We walk into a store and there's a man demonstrating something that you cannot do without, or so he says. And you and many others are drawn in and you listen intently and you look at what this product can do for you and how it can make your life that much easier and more satisfying. And you're tempted, but you always fear that there's a catch. But then... A close friend tells you of some new utensil that she's bought and how it has really changed her life, making things so much easier for her. She bangs on about it every time she meets you, singing its praises every time she speaks. I don't know how I manage without it, she says. You when you come to the conclusion that you need what she's got because you can trust what she's got. And you want what she's got. And then you get what she's got. You know, and what you've done, you've succumbed because you see a person who you know, someone who is confident in the product through experience. And that's why I mentioned the way that Sophie led us in worship this morning. You know, it, it was obvious that she knows what she's singing about. She knows the person that she is singing about. You know, and it makes so much difference when you see an example like that. You know, and uh, as we come to verse 3 of our psalm, this amazing psalm uh, this morning, we've already seen that Moses has recorded for us in the first verse this great statement of faith. And then, as we saw last week, we saw verse 2, his personal experience of that statement of faith. You know, and what Moses has done, he brings the truth and attaches it to his own circumstances. So that the truth is no longer just words on a page or some considered opinion or something what we recite on a Sunday morning, but it now becomes, for Moses, a personal experience of God, as he reveals himself to Moses as Jehovah. You know, and if you remember, last week we looked at this revelation of God, and we saw that God is the self-existent one, he is the eternal one, he is the unchanging one, he is the righteous one, he is the glorious one. You know, and words like that could possibly frighten us. And then, 
We find that at the same time, he is the covenant God, he is the loving God, he is the redeeming God. And those are the terms that warm our hearts. You know, and we find, because of his experience, Moses is so confident in his God. In fact, it seems that uh, this confidence that Moses is displaying is growing deeper and deeper and deeper the further we go into this psalm. So like um, those three uh, incidents that I mentioned at the beginning, yes, a man on the phone, well, I can't really trust what he has to say. The man in the shop, I can't really go with him. But the person that I know was experienced. You know, Moses becomes for us that person, that person who will become for us an example because he is not only talking about something he's heard of or something he's read of. He's talking about someone that he knows. So he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the statement of truth. Verse 2, I will say, says Moses, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. But he goes on, verse 3, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be you a shield and buckler. And you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your, at your side, and ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked." Now, as we are dealing with this psalm, of course, we, uh, we are dealing with it as if Moses is about to send the Israelites into the unknown. He's speaking to them and he is reminding them of the past, this 40 years that they've been wandering in the wilderness. And he is giving them some kind of drive to go into the promised land without him. You know, and so it's, he's sending them into the unknown, into the promised land. Without him, without his experience, without his leadership, without his wisdom. And yet it is this first word of verse 3 that stands out for me. And it's this word, surely. Surely he shall deliver you. Now that's what I call confidence. Confidence in your product. Confidence in your God. You see, Moses, he knew nothing at all about the promised land. Only that it was flowing with milk and honey. Only that God had given it to them. He knew nothing of the pitfalls that were there, are there, the obstacles. He knew nothing of the enemies that they would face. Nothing of the temptations and the trials that would come their way. He had nothing with which to measure against God. And yet he knew that whatever would come against them, God was greater, bigger, and stronger, and wiser than anything that would come against them. You know, and that's a confident uh, proclamation. Surely he will 
deliver you. And the first thing that I want us to notice is that this morning is the difference between his statement here and the statement of the ten spies who had gone into the land some 40 years earlier. When they were going into the land, this is what they said. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You and you, we can see what happens when we study the enemy and measure the enemy up against ourselves. Did you notice the first thing that the tent spies did was to measure themselves up against the giants? And in doing so, they convinced themselves that they were too small and inadequate. You know, which in turn gave the giants the confidence to tower over them. Now, if you can remember last week, I talked of Rahab, uh, a citizen of Jericho, who hid some, some spies uh, of the Israelites. And this is what she said to them. And, and listen, because it's very significant. It says, I know, she says, that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land, listen to those words, all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Notice those words, all the inhabitants, which would have included the giants. Those giants that had terrified the ten spies some 40 years earlier were already a defeated foe. God had already sent his army, the armies of heaven, to destroy any resistance in the promised land. Remember what he said? The promised land, I have given you. You know, and he sent his armies first to destroy the confidence of the inhabitants of, um, of the promised land. And yet when the spies went in, their confidence shrank. You know, and sometimes, you know, we are exactly the same. We are overcome, not because the enemy is stronger than us, but because we think he is stronger than us. You know, we measure them up against our own puny faith, and we shrink in their presence. And like these spies, the circumstances overwhelm us, and we are beaten before we even start. You know, and it's simply because we measure our circumstances up against our faith, and sometimes, very often, most times, it doesn't match. But what a difference with Moses. What an amazing difference Moses, what a confidence Moses is oozing to these people. Surely he shall deliver you. But wait a minute, Moses. You don't know what's coming yet. So how can you be so confident? I don't care what's coming, says Moses. Because whatever it may be, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yes, but there's a Jordan to cross. 
There's a fortified city to overcome. There's a land to possess. There are giants to subdue. There's an enemy to, to destroy. But Moses just says, surely, surely oozes confidence, not in himself, says he won't be there. He oozes his confidence in God. The plans and purposes of God, they just grind on to their desired end. You know, Jesus said to me, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. Yes, the gates of hell come against him. And sometimes we allow the gates of hell to do more damage than it, it has power to do. But yet, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the plans and purposes of God because he is greater than them. He is bigger than them. He is wiser than them. So that's the first thing I want us to notice is the difference between the spies 40 years ago and the confidence that Moses shows. But notice secondly, the similarity between this statement and the one that we looked at last week from Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 6, God reveals himself to Je as Jehovah to Moses. It's what he says. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. You know, and as Moses stood there before that burning bush, he was yet to know that a mighty dynasty was against him. He was yet to know that a Red Sea was ahead of him. He was yet to know that a rebellious people was around and about him. He was yet to know that a burning desert was before him. But he says, I, God says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. Now, they say, don't they, that um, hindsight has twenty twenty vision. You know, we can all see what we should have done. Uh, when we look back on things, you know, and that's where regret comes from and, and stuff like that. We have twenty twenty vision of what has happened before. But Moses here is in this uh, unique position because he stands before these people. He's sending them into the promised land. He's sending them into the unknown. But he is in this unique position of having twenty twenty vision in foresight because of his 2020 vision in hindsight. You see, it's great to know as you go forward that there's a history behind you. You know, and if you look at the Old Testament, you will notice that on many occasions, God says when he's moving his children on, God talks about the redemption of Egypt. He says, look, this is what I was like in Egypt. This is how I brought you through the wilderness. This is how I brought you into the promised land. This is how I destroyed your enemies before you. Now then, go forward in my name. And that's what Moses is able to do uh, in, in this situation that he's in. He's got 20-20 vision of a God who lived up to his promises. 
lived up to the power that he exerted there in the burning bush. So therefore, as he looks into the future, he knows that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And his power remains the same. And his authority remains the same. And his purposes remain the same. We used to sing a song in Emmanuel. He didn't bring us out this far to take us back again. He brought us out to bring us in. To the promised land. Though there be giants in the land. We shall not be afraid. He brought us out. To bring us in. To the promised land. He proved God. In the burning desert. He heard him. In the burning bush. He proved him. In the burning uh, desert. And now he knows. That no weapon. Formed against him. Would prosper. You know people he says. You know there's. um, There's nothing. That will come against you. My people, there's nothing that will come against you that he cannot deliver you from. No bondage that he can't redeem you from. No circumstance that he can't take you through. You know, even though uh, Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There's no bondage. No obstacle, no enemy that can overcome us. And if you read this psalm and then turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, the similarity is absolutely astounding. Listen to what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written... Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Exactly the same thing. Paul could say I've proved him in the furnace of experience. Now I'm saying to you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And lastly, I want you to notice what deliverance, and that's what we're looking at here, deliverance ministry actually entails, what it really consists of. Now, sometimes I think that the simplicity of the Word of God has been compromised in our day by people making things so complicated and professional you know and they bring simple things into the domain of the expert what is spiritual warfare at its most basic level is it the laying on of hands and prayer well yes that's important but no that's not spiritual warfare is it binding the enemy and and uh, shouting at satan well no that's not what spiritual warfare is about is it being slain in the spirit or whatever that means well no that's not what spiritual warfare is about verse 4 in this psalm is a perfect example or description or definition of spiritual warfare and this is what it says he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. Now this is the bit. His truth, his truth, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now there it is. 
That's what spiritual warfare is. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, I know that people of Emmanuel have heard this story a million times, but I'm going to say it in case there's one person out there who's never heard it. You know, I'm, the first time, and I'm going back 30, 35 years, when I was a young boy, and uh, I was asked to speak in Emmanuel Christian Fellowship uh, before I ever started going there. You know, and I, my sermon, and, and uh, in those days, if you can imagine, I wasn't a pastor. I used to go preaching around all the different churches in, in the Ronda. So therefore, I could, I could study for the sermon, and I could use it for three months. Wherever I went, I'd use the same sermon. You know, and um, I was only governed by my turn on a Sunday morning. I'd have a turn on a Sunday morning in the bush, prepare a sermon, and that's, that sermon would live with me then for three months until it was my turn to speak in the Sunday morning again. You know, and that's the man. The sermon that I had, well, I was going to take it to Emmanuel Christian Fellowship. You know, and I said in that sermon that I believe that 95% of today's deliverance ministries would be redundant if Christians read, understood, and applied the truth of God's word in their lives. You know, and uh, when I said that, I didn't know whether I'd be asked back again, um, because that went against the sort of the ethos of Emmanuel Christian Fellowship. Listen to what I said. I believe that 95% of today's deliverance ministry would be redundant if Christians read, understood, and applied the word of God in their lives. Now, 33 or 35 years later, and I realized that I was wrong. Yes. I was wrong. Since then, I've come to a totally different conclusion. Now I believe that 100% of today's deliverance ministry would be redundant if Christians read, understood, and applied God's word to their lives. How can I be so confident? How can I say such a thing in today's world? Well, because I listen to the words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said. He said to those Jews, who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides. Therefore, if the son makes you free, then you shall be free indeed. The truth the truth shall make you free. If you read God's word, if you understand God's word, if you believe God's word, if you apply God's word, then you will be free indeed, says the Lord. You know, if you remember in Christ's high priestly prayer, when he asks the Father to keep us away from evil, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth and therefore my um, thought this morning about spiritual warfare and coming you know living a life in this world that we belong to it's the truth that we need to understand the truth of what who God is what he's done for us and who we are in him you see our society becomes more and more atheistic and politicians and the media 
and the man in the street continue to show contempt for God and his church. The challenge for us as Christians is greater than ever. But if we live our lives by God's word, we know that we will have severe opposition. We know that we will have difficulties. We will have trials. This will be a part of our lives. But the real problem uh, lies in how we deal with those things. They will come against us. Moses didn't say that you will have a plain sailing. There will be no enemies, no obstacles, nothing to, to, to get at you. He didn't say that. He says this is how we should deal with them. This is how you should react. No, we can either, like the ten spies, lay down and roll over and let them devour us giving them more power than what they've got, or we can be like Moses and take our refuge under the shadow of his wings, trust in his might, trust in his power, trust in his authority, and see things from his perspective. And realize, like Paul in Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, and don't forget, when we do all that, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. So as a Christian, you have a choice this morning in the circumstances that are upon us. You have a choice. You either fall like the spies because your trust is not in the God of your salvation, or you move on like Moses, because God was so real to him. Now unto him, who was able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.